Thou wast transfigured on the mount, O Christ our God, revealing thy glory to thy disciples as far as they could bear it. Let thine everlasting light shine upon us sinners through the prayers of the Theotokos, O giver of light, glory to Thee. Good evening and welcome back to another live stream Bible study on the book of 1 Corinthians, inspired by the homilies of St. John Chrysostom. My name is Father Thanasio Seros, and I'm the dean here at the St. Nicholas Greek Orthodox Cathedral in Tarpon Springs, Florida, and I'm your host for Be Transfigured Ministries. Welcome, welcome, welcome to our Bible study. I don't want to waste too much time tonight with announcements, but we do have a few important ones. Um, because of some scheduling difficulties and because of the first week of Great Lent and what have you, Tonight's Bible study, by the way, is session 15, homily 14. I'll get to that in a moment. But we're finishing chapter 4. And that means our next Bible study after tonight begins a brand new section in St. Paul's letter. Now, what that means for us, practically speaking, is I don't want to have to take a break in the middle of chapter 5. So we have decided, those of us who are here in the room, I'm sorry, you don't get a vote because you're watching from the internet. However, we have decided that it would be better to wait a few weeks so we can get a good series of sessions in without losing any momentum. So we're going to take the next three Tuesdays off. That means our next Bible study session will be Tuesday, March 22. And we'll carry up there with homily 15, session 16, which begins with chapter 5, which is a brand new section in uh, St. Paul's letter to the First Corinthians. So I'm sorry, I know that uh, you really look forward to seeing my face on Tuesday nights. It also helps Perezvitera because I'm out of the house. So she has some peace and quiet there in the house without me. However, she gets to see my face because, as you know, for those of you who are returning members of our Bible study, we do have Uh, the sound seems to be off, meaning it's not synchronized, I guess. I'm sorry, there's not much I can do. Let me just turn the microphone off and back on again and see if that makes a difference, okay? All right, we're back. I don't know if that makes a difference. Um, President will let me know one way or another. She did send me a message saying that it was off, the sound was off. Hopefully it's getting better. It's got a 40-second delay, so she hasn't even seen my new voice yet, so we'll see what happens. Well, we're just going to continue. It is, it is what it is. So where was I? Uh, so the 22nd of March, we will continue again with session 16, which is homily 15. Now, let's talk about how this works, especially if you're new to our Bible study. 
So there's a study guide available at my website, www.liveanewlifeinchrist.org. Princess says the sound is like a Japanese movie. Um, sorry, I don't know what I, I can see the delay on, my, on the screen, but there's always a delay on my screen, so I don't know. I'm sorry, it's just so over there is Godzilla and over there is Gamera, and uh, they're attacking us from all sides, so we just have to deal with what it is. So this is the 21st century. I'm sorry. Um, let me see if I can click off to the camera and come back on me just a moment. Does that make a difference, Pesutera? I don't know. Okay. Anyway, so you're just going to have to ignore the disconnect between my voice and the video. And then tomorrow when I upload the audio version of it to the podcast, you'll be able to just listen and be, uh, be inspired by God's Word that way. Okay, so on my website, www.liveanewlifeinchrist.org slash 1 Corinthians, you will find all the information for our Bible study on 1 Corinthians. You'll find the study guides listed by date and session, and you'll also find links to the video. So, for those of you who are new, or for those of you who did not pay attention last week to, to Bible study, and you didn't even watch after the fact, you have three weeks to get caught up. So it's binge watch Father Thanasios time, right? Yay, binge watch Father Thanasios. So after tonight, that's, fi that's 15 hours of Bible study on 1 Corinthians. So that's a good binge you can get in. Anyway, as part of the study guide, you'll see a link to the homily, which brings you to a different website called New Advent Fathers. And you'll see there all of the homilies of St. John Chrysostom for 1 Corinthians. So there's a lot of opportunity there. If you're in Tarpon Springs ever, we wish invite you to join us live in person in Father Trifon Hall, but not the next three Tuesdays because we're not going to be here, right? Okay, so March 22nd is our final thing. Oh, that's what I was in the middle of saying when she interrupted me about the Japanese movie. If you're watching online, there is a chat room hosted and coordinated by Presbyter Vasi, my wife. She's an amazing moderator. Okay, she's also an amazing cook. And she keeps me sane, which if you know me is not an easy job. Anyway, so but you have to be watching on YouTube in order to be participating in the live chat room. And so far in the live chat room, we have Angeliki from Canada. We have Michael from Long Island. We have Philip from Ocala and Philip from Macedonia and Joanne, who is from here in Tarpon Springs. Huh? And Philip, by the way, is here also, our Philip, our chanter. Uh, and also Maria in Tarpon Springs says hello. We know who Maria is. She used to come in person, but she's still a little nervous, I think, about COVID and things like that. So she's watching from home. And there's also some other people who like to watch and not participate. So sometimes I feel, I know I'm sharing my age here, I kind of sometimes feel like I'm watching Romper Room and I see Billy and Susie and Johnny, but... I know. See, you're too young to know what Romper Room is, right? It was a, it was an old, it was an old kids' TV show, 
and she would look through this little thing, then she would like speak to you, and and if your parents really thought you were special, they'd send in your name, and they said, oh, and I see Susie and Billy and Johnny. Oh, she saw me. Oh, she saw me. So I see Maria. Okay. Of course, I don't see Maria. Maria sees me. Anyway. All right. So. Without further ado, I've taken a lot of time, more than I wanted to, but it was fun anyway. So let's go ahead and dig right in with our opening prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Shine within our hearts, loving Master, the pure light of your divine knowledge, and open the eyes of our minds that we may comprehend the message of your gospel. Instill in us also reverence for your blessed commandments, so that having conquered sinful desires, we may pursue a spiritual life, thinking and doing all those things which are pleasing to you. For you, Christ our God, are the light of our souls and bodies, and to you we give glory, together with your Father, who was without beginning, in your all-holy, good, and life-creating spirit, always, now, and forever, and to the ages of ages. Amen. Okay. Um, again, if you're an old, old hat with us, you know there's normally microphones in the room. I must confess, I got wrapped up with a whole bunch of other stuff this week, and I did not even investigate new hardware to bring the microphones back. And I know that really makes you sad because you really like being able to talk on the microphone. But um, I am going to do my best to remember before our next session so we can have the microphones in the room. So until then, I guess I get to do all the reading. I hope that doesn't bother anybody. But um, it is what it is. Like I said, we're going to finish chapter 4 this, this week. So we are 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 17 through 21. Let me go ahead and read it, and then we'll get going with, this, with the study. For this reason I have sent Timothy to you, who was my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ, as I teach everywhere in every church. Now some are puffed up, as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you shortly, if the Lord wills, and I will know not the word of those who are puffed up, but the power. For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. What do you want? Shall I come to you with a rod, or in love, in a spirit of gentleness? So this is a beautiful way. Remember, if you've been paying attention the past 16 sessions, I guess, 15 sessions, all of these first four chapters is St. Paul drawing us in, getting us to trust him, and getting us to leave the worldly logic behind, because when we get to chapter 5, he's going to hit us over the head with a 2 by 4 right? And so <laughs> he has to be able to draw us in before any of that happens. Um, so let's dig right in. You'll see in, in the study guide, um, in the homily, section 1 of the homily, Quote number one, and by the way, if you're new to our Bible study, the section numbers under the textual analysis is just a way of you being able to find it in the homily. There's no other organizational purpose between the section numbers and the study guide, except that the editors have chosen to add these section numbers, so I'm just using the editor's section numbers to make it easy to find it within the homily. Does that make sense? Okay. So, quote number one in section one. St. Paul uses the anticipation of his arrival to change behavior. Listen to what Chrysostom says here. 
But as this was not possible for a time, he corrects them by the promise of his appearance, and not this only, but also by the sending of his disciple. For this he says, I have sent unto you Timothy for this cause. How is that? Because I care for you as for children and as having begotten you. Right? So there's this beautiful thing there. Not only is he showing his care by sending Timothy, but it's, now I'll use my language here, right? Um, how many of us ever heard our mother say, you wait till your father gets home. We're like, okay, I'm behaving now. Did you ever do that? Of course, right? Every mother does that. And so in that way, St. Paul is using that same thing. I'm coming. What am I going to find when I get there? Right? So he's hoping just the anticipation of his arrival will fix some of these behaviors. So again, there's that paternal love coming through uh, in St. Paul. Quote number two. Surely they would listen if St. Paul sent someone he loved so much, right? This is his beloved Timothy. Chrysostom says this, If then he was his beloved child, consider how great was Paul's love in choosing to be separated from him for the Corinthians' sake. And if faithful also, he will be unexceptionable in his ministering to their affairs. Right? How much Paul loved them by sending him someone so close to him. It wasn't just some random, okay, I'm going to send you Yanni. It was my beloved Timothy, someone who was so close. We know that there's even epistles written to Timothy. So this is one of the closer confidants to St. Paul. And so Chrysostom is pointing out that that is itself not only showing his love, but that it would be more likely that Timothy would be listened to because he's the beloved one. And because Timothy loves St. Paul so much, he would work that much harder and more diligently to make sure the proper thing was taking place. So there's that mutual trust going on. Point number three, Timothy's presence was to confirm St. Paul's teaching. Oh, there's a typo there in my study guide, I'm sorry. Not to be a new teaching. Listen to what Chrysostom says here. For there was no envy among the apostles, but they had an eye unto one thing, the edification of the church. And if he that was employed was their inferior, they did as it were support with him, they did as it were support him with all earnestness. Wherefore neither was he contented with saying, He shall put you in remembrance, but proposing to cut off their envy more completely, for Timothy was young, was this view. I say, he adds, my ways, not his, but mine. That is, his methods, his dangers, his customs, his laws, his ordinances, his apostolic, apostolical canons, and all the rest. Right. So this is something that, that is really helps us understand orthodoxy in general. Timothy is not going to go offer anything new. He's only there to reinforce what St. Paul teaches. And in St. Paul's words here, if you go back to the verse, I teach everywhere in every church. Right? So Timothy's going to confirm for the Corinthians, hey guys, it's not just you he says this stuff to, he says it to everybody. So peeling the proverbial onion back, Timothy 
is verifying what St. Paul teaches. And St. Paul's already told us what does he teach but what was given to him by the apostles. And what do the apostles teach but what was given to him by Christ. None of this is new. It is merely a reinforcement of what Christ gave to the apostles, who gave it to St. Paul, who in this case gave it to Timothy and the Corinthians, and who else? Us. Right? And then we, in our little Bible study, what do we add? We add that other layer in there. Where does St. John Chrysostom get it? From St. Paul. Right? And so there's, I guess that there's that expression, nothing new under the sun. One of the beauties of orthodoxy is that any priest can sit here and offer the teachings of the church. Now, we all offer our own nuance of how to respond to that teaching, but none of us has the freedom to just make up our own stuff, right? And that, I think, is the beauty of orthodoxy, especially in a contemporary Christian world where there are... Well, as of 2015, 43,000 denominations, right? Um, Gordon-Conwell Seminary does these regular surveys. And in 2015, there were 43,000 denominations. Roman Catholicism being one, Orthodoxy being another one of the 43,000. Not the Greek Orthodox Church being one and the Russian Orthodox Church being another one and the Roman. No, all of Orthodoxy is one of those 43,000 denominations, right? So that is a, 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 a Western re- response and, um, not response, um, result of the Protestant movement, right? I don't like Third Avenue Christian Church, so I go start Fourth Avenue Christian Church, right? Well, here is the evidence right here in the scriptures that was unheard of in the ancient church. Timothy didn't just, the Corinthians weren't just starting their own church. They're being reinforced with a particular set of teachings, the apostolic doctrines, which is what we do. So that's my little uh, parentheses for tonight. Okay, moving on in the homily, section two, quote number four. St. Paul uses shame for those who need to change, but speaks more gently when speaking to the general public. Listen to what Chrysostom says here, and maybe I can further my... Because I remember, I write the bullet points based on what what I'm reading there. So here's what Chrysostom says here. For there he glances both at them and at certain others, casting down their high-mindedness, since the love of preeminence is in fault, when men abuse the absence of their teacher for their own self-will. For when he addresses himself unto the people, observe how he does it in a way of appeal to their sense of shame. When unto the originators of the mischief, his manner is more vehement. Right. So when he's speaking specifically to those who are causing the problems, he's much more strict. When speaking in general terms, he's going to try and have them some shame or what have you, but... The, the, the general public is a much softer tone. But if you'll notice what he does is he's always trying to bring enough examples in, especially which we'll see in chapter 5, enough examples in that anyone who's hearing him can take part of it unto themselves. 
right? Oh yeah, I guess that I'm doing some of that. Oh yeah, I guess I'm guilty of that. Oh yeah, I guess, okay, yeah, maybe he's talking to me too, right? There's also a sense of humility there and being able to accept that. So that's why St. Paul's offering those different, different perspectives. And we were saying before Bible study started, right? There's that fire and brimstone, and then there's the gentle fatherly stuff, right? And St. Paul's really good about using both. I, on the other hand, fall into a trap of a little bit more two-by-four than, than comfort. And you're not denying it, so that's okay. <laughs> All right, point number five. St. Paul is a lion of faith, and all listen. I just love this imagery from St. That's why I correct from, from Chrysostom. For as the presence of a lion makes all living creatures sink, shrink away, so also that of Paul, the corruptors of the church. Right? I just love that imagery of here's St. Paul roaring with the truth. And they're like, oh, okay, I'm leaving now. Okay, I'm, I'm out of here, right? There's, again, that's the protective side of St. Paul. Because he's got, the purpose here is what? Salvation. And his love for, these, for the people is so great that he's going to do whatever he can to scare off the bad people, comfort the good people while still correcting them, Right? I just love that imagery that St. John Chrysostom uses there. All right, section number three, quote number six. Doers, not talkers, are victorious over sin. We could learn from this one, I bet. Chrysostom says this, As therefore in war, success is not for those who talk much, but those who affect much. So also in this case, not speakers, but doers have the victory. If you go back, I know you didn't get a chance to read the homily yet for tonight. By the way, she didn't do any of her homework for tonight. Uh, but there's a longer description there of war and preparation and the doers rather than the speakers. So you'll be, have, you'll be able to appreciate that later. You did read First Corinthians. That was, that's also homework too. So, By the way, we want to also welcome... Um, Presbyteria, also therefore, my Thea Gloria from Ohio is also joining us live tonight. Yay, Ohio! I see here she says, please pardon the voice delay. So there's obviously still a war between Godzilla and Gamera. Okay. <laughs> Point number seven. The gospel is proved by power. Christum says this, For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. By signs, he says, not by fine speaking, we have prevailed. And that our teaching is divine and really announces the kingdom of heaven, we give to greater proof, namely, our signs which we work by the power of the Spirit. If those who are now puffed up desire to be some great ones, as soon as I have come, let them show whether they have any such power. Whoa. I mean, he's like, he's throwing down the gauntlet, right? It's like, okay, really? And in fact, I was having a conversation with, with someone this morning who is interested in orthodoxy and Christianity in general. Is One day thinks he's an atheist, another day thinks he might be a Christian. He's really struggling. And, and one of the things that we talked about in our conversation today was that 
What possesses us not to believe the thousands of witnesses about Christ? You know, and we remember this, I guess in the fall, St. John Christum talked about this, right? Here's these measly fishermen. They could have definitely taken the easy way out and pretended to lie about Jesus and been honored and everything like that. Instead, what do they say? They take on the Roman Empire. They risk being slaughtered, and many of them were slaughtered. And what was with them? Power and miracles and signs and this, and thousands of people standing up and saying, no, this is real. And remember that, that was somewhere in October, I think we talked about that, where Christism says that in itself is evidence of the truth of Christ that he took these mere fishermen and defeated the empire, right? So in this same way, he's like, look, fine people, you think you got the truth? Show me you've got the same kind of power that the church has in terms of the miracles of God. I think that's a pretty interesting challenge from St. Paul. Yeah, yeah, I have to repeat it though for them to watch, to listen. All right, so let me pause. So he's talking about the sacramental grace in the church, and one of the examples is that we bless water, and water actually becomes holy water. I use most. Go on. Yeah, but, okay, so he's also saying that in the Protestant, there's no sacramental grace. It's really about the Word and the Scriptures. Yeah, my question is, is how accurate is that, or is that accurate of an understanding to look at that? Well, I think sacramental grace, while for the believer, is a, has a lot of meaning. But here, St. Paul, when he's talking about power, he's talking about the miracles. Okay, the actual evidentiary miracles of the church, right? Acts talks about even the, the shadow of St. Peter performed miracles. Um, some of we're going to talk about, or was it last week we talked about um, relics doing miracles, right? This is the power that St. Paul's talking about here. Take, you know, Ayazma, you could say, where's the power in the Ayazma would be in the fact that Ayazma doesn't go bad. So, you know, water spoils, right? If it's left out long enough, did you know that, right? Water spoils. Ayazma does not, right? That might be a closer conversation of the power, okay? Or all of these incorrupt saints' bodies, Evidence of the power of the gospel. I think the, the, the biggest public one would be the power of the holy fire every year in Jerusalem. Right? Here, and it is guarded and, and, and studied, and the patriarch is 
pat it down to make sure he has no matches or anything, and they seal off the tomb. And every single year, the patriarch comes out with, with God having lit the, the candles, right? And yet people see that and still refuse to believe. I think that's the kind of power things that St. Paul's talking about. The grace and the sacraments is really only witnessed by the faithful. And they're not necessarily wonders. You know, yeah, the bread and wine is now the body and blood of Christ, but where's the wonder in that? I did uh, recently hear um, a story a uh, dear friend of mine who is no longer with us, Father George Livanos from uh, 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 Ohio. Ohio? Pennsylvania. Cannonsburg, Pennsylvania. That's where he's from. Um, died of cancer last year. And there was an interview done of him. And he shared some stories. Well, he himself has a miracle had a miracle story in his life he had come down while a seminarian with um a serious case of was it measles or chickenpox whatever which as an adult can be very dangerous he had a very high fever dangerously high fever very ill and I think it was during, I don't know if it was during Holy Week, but whatever, whatever it was, the priest left the chapel with all the students and the chalice, went to the dormitory, gave him communion, and immediately his fever broke. That's the power that St. Paul's talking about. Okay. All right. That's a great question, though. Yeah. All right, so we got a couple other people here. Oh, my mother-in-law is online. Um, who else is here online? Mike V. Mike V, where are you from? I don't remember where Mike V is from. Um, let's see, who else is here? It looks like that's so far everybody else who's come online. So they're having their little chat here. I see all those words going by the screen. So, Okay. Section 4, quote number 8. And this gets, this gets to the character of the way Paul behaves toward the church. Love is both meek and strict. Now remember, this is referring to verse 21. What do you want? Shall I come to you with a rod or in love and a spirit of gentleness? This is, the, this is what St. Paul, this is what St. John Christum is talking about. What then? To come with a rod, was it not an instance of love? Of love it was, surely, but because through his great love he shrinks back in punishing, therefore he so expresses himself. Further, when he spoke about punishment, he said not in a spirit of meekness, but simply with a rod. And yet of that too the spirit was author, for there is a spirit of meekness and a spirit of severity. So there's that, that beautiful... Uh, expression of love coming from St. Paul and something that we could all benefit from in the way we interact with other people, right? If we love, that means sometimes we're going to be gentle, sometimes we're going to be strict, as long as the true source of that is love and not our own egos. Mike V, by the way, is from Portugal. So we've got a like world, uh, 
United Nations kind of Bible study tonight, which is kind of fun. Okay, so that ends our textual analysis. And now we go into the section that I call life application. You see, St. John Chrysostom, in almost every single one of his homilies, after he teaches for a portion on what I call the traditional chapter-verse method, then sometimes because of one word, one verse, or something, he launches into some kind of a moral teaching. And I call that life application. Because it doesn't matter even if we memorize the scriptures, if it does not somehow change the way we live, it is a useless exercise, right? And so our life application tonight, I have titled, Heaven or Hell is a Matter of Choice, right? <laughs> so let's see where Chrysostom is bringing us here and kind of figure out where, where he's inspired. I'll tell you the inspiration comes from the very simple words, what do you want? St. Paul's like, what do you want? And this is what inspires St. John Chrysostom to talk about um, heaven or hell as a matter of choice. Okay, so in section five in the homily, we are quote number nine. Whether we enter heaven or hell, there's another typo there, forgive me, is our choice. Quote, For we too have depending on us both sides of the alternative, both falling into hell and obtaining the kingdom. Since God has so willed it, for behold, says he, fire and water, whichever way you will, you may stretch forth your hand. Sirach chapter 15, verse 16. And if you be willing, I will hearken unto you and will hearken unto me, you shall eat the good of the land, Isaiah 1.19. But if you will not be willing, the sword shall devour you. But perhaps one will say, I am willing, and no one is so void of understanding as not to be willing, but to will is not sufficient for me. Nay, it is, but it is sufficient if you be duly willing, and do the deeds of one that is willing. But as it is, you are not greatly willing, right? So maybe unwrap that a little bit. Why, does, why do I say it's a matter of choice? It's one thing to say you want something. What are you doing? What are you willing to do to get it? That's what Chris Dumb is saying here, right? Do you really want heaven? Or do you just say you want heaven? That even goes back to the whole, it's the doers, not the talkers kind of thing, right? And that's why Christum says, yeah, you may say you're willing, but if you don't do any of the things that help you get there, then maybe you're not really willing at all. Maybe you're just talking. Quote number 10, what we do what is needed if we have the desire. Right? Listen to what Christum says here. It's, Is it not then strange for men to show themselves so much in earnest about earthly things? but that when they are to make a venture for heaven, they should be content with wishing only? Rather, I should say, not even in this do they show themselves properly in earnest. For he that wills a things as he ought, puts also his hand unto the means which lead to the object of his desire. Thus, when hunger compels you to take nourishment, you wait not for the viands to come unto you of their own accord, <laughs> but omist nothing to gather victuals together. So in thirst and cold and all other such things, you are industrious and duly prepared to take care of the body. 
Now do this in respect to God's kingdom also, and surely you shall obtain it. Right? I mean, it's, sometimes it's just so basic, right? And this is why I just love, I mean, I can read these homilies over and over and over again and just get more and more and more. I'm just bringing out a few quotes here and there. And, you know, the, the language is not the easiest to understand because, you know, it's, it's, it's almost like philosophy, right? You got to read it a dozen times to really absorb it. But, I mean, think about that. He's right, right? We're hungry. We go do something about it. We say when we want to get to heaven, <laughs> twiddling our thumbs, right? We do what is needed if we have the desire. Okay, section six. Point number 11. We always choose the easy road. Isn't that the truth, right? For suppose, Chrysostom says, there were two roads, the one leading to a furnace and the other to a paradise, and that the one unto the furnace were broad, the other unto paradise narrow. Which road would you take in preference? For although you may now gainsay for contradiction's sake, yet things which are plainly allowed on all hands, however shameless, you will not be able to gainsay. Now that the way is rather to be chosen, which has its beginning difficult, but not its end, I will endeavor to teach you from what is quite obvious. In other words, we don't know necessarily the result of the path. So in life, we take the easier path, unless we know what the destination is, right? I don't know if I've ever been, ever been mountain climbing. One of the great joys that I've ever had, not like, I've never done like 14,000 foot mountains, but I've done 10, 11,000 foot mountains. And the way up can be quite difficult, but you do it because you know the result is this amazing view and this amazing sense of accomplishment. But there's different ways up the mountain. And so in the short view, you know you're getting to that place over there and you're looking in front of you and say, well, you know what? Between here and halfway there, I'm going to go this way because this path is easier. Right? You make those choices in the short run based on what's in front of you. But if you knew for sure that this pace was a cliff, would you take the hard way? Yeah, because you know the result. So the point that Christam is making here is we know in life that the difficult path leads to heaven. It's the easy way out that leads to hell. And the only way we're not going to choose the easy way is if we're trying to avoid the, the destination. Does that make sense? Because we will always choose the easy way unless something else compels us to a different answer. That's kind of what he's getting at here. Okay, so speaking of the path, point number 12, we need a guide to keep us on the right path. Listen to what Chrysostom says here. But say you, 
No one applies himself to an art without someone to compel him. For you add, as long as the boy in his, is his own master, he will choose rather to take his ease at first, and in the end to endure the evil. How great soever, than to live hardly at the outset, and afterwards reap the fruit of those labors. Well then, to make such a choice comes of a mind left to itself, and of childish idleness. But the contrary choice of sense and manliness. And so it is with us. Were we not children in mind, we should not be like the child aforesaid, forsaken as he is and thoughtless, but like him that has a father. We must cast out then our own childish mind and not find fault with the things themselves. And we must set a charioteer over our consciousness, who will not allow us to indulge our appetite, but make us run and strive mightily. I think that probably is the essence of marriage, right? If we go all the way back to Genesis, and God says, it's not good for man to be alone, and he makes him a helper. Helping him with what? The laundry? No. Helping him find heaven. None of us can do it on our own. Okay? There's a, one of my favorite old Greek sayings, Yerasko aididaskomenos. I grow old, always being taught. Many times we'll hear it in English called, I grow old, always learning. But learning, you can learn from a book. Being taught requires a relationship with somebody else. Someone who knows more than we do. In orthodoxy, we call that our spiritual father. Right? Someone who knows the path up the mountain. No, don't go that easy way. There's a cliff over there. I know it looks harder, but in reality, this is the way to the summit of the mountain. Right? We need someone to keep us on the path because we will, by nature, pick the easy way. And we will pick the lazy way because that's part of our broken human nature, right? Because unless we know what's ahead, we aren't going to pick the hard way. We just aren't. Which, parentheses, is exactly why Christ says in the Gospel of Mark, whoever desires to come after me, let him what? Before take up his cross, he says, deny himself. We'll never pick up our cross. We'll never go the difficult path focusing on ourselves. No, that's too hard for me. I think I'll go the easy way. Right? And so the church ultimately is our guide. Our spiritual father is our guide. The saints are our guide. The scriptures are our guide. What? To stay on the path. To understand that although it might be difficult... It is ultimately the easier way because of where the, where the destination is. Now keep in mind, the context of all of this is coming in chapter 5. Right? Did you do your homework this week? Did you read the entire thing in its entirety? Right? 
at least past where we, in other words, you're seeing the direction of St. Paul's letter, right? So remember, all of this is, once, once we get to chapter five and he's hitting us with these two by fours of all these sins and all this and all that, dude, ease up, man. But that's why he's spending all this time now convincing us, trust me, take this path. It might seem harder now, but that's the path to the success. I think it's really cool. I think it's really cool. But if you don't read the full context, you kind of lose that, lose that perspective. Okay, point number 13. We still choose sin in spite of ourselves. Listen to Chrysostom here. But here, not for such fruitless and perishable things is our race, neither have we fears about the end. But greater and more secure is our hope after our departure hence. What pardon can there be? What excuse for those who will not strip themselves for the evils to be endured for virtue's sake? Even though we know what punishment is coming, even when we know this path leads to a, to a cliff, we still take it. And that's kind of like Chrysostom saying, ah! you know, sorry, that was probably loud on the, on, the, on the computer screen. But it's just like, come on, people. Figure it out. Why do we keep choosing sin? Was it last week or or a couple weeks ago where Chrysostom says, why are we so enamored with pleasing people? Right? I don't get it, he says. We could care less about pleasing God, but all these other sinful lowlifes, they're the ones that we're trying to please all the time. Doesn't make sense. And yet here we are over and over and over. Yeah. Because it reminds me of the person that you mentioned. You said, I don't know if I'm an atheist, I don't know if I'm a Christian. And then when you said, well, even though we know that that thing leads to the cliff. But in reality, I mean, in what sense do you know? Like the atheist, he says, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. But then, and then it's also like your dad or mother says when you're a child, don't touch that, it's hot. So you know. But you don't know. All right, so the, remember, they can't hear you. So what Philip is expressing is he was thinking about the person who I met with who maybe, maybe an atheist, maybe not an atheist, you know, and we say, look, that path leads to a cliff, but how do we really know? What we do is we trust those who have walked the path. Right? That's why you go to the Himalayas. I've never been. What do they have? guides, the ones who do in fact know what path leads to the top and what path leads to the cliff. And in our case of the church, who are those people? The saints. The saints. So it's always a distrust in the guide and the curiosity to say, but I want to know. Right. And, and, and that's what we do. We, 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 we're like, oh, let me trust myself. Right? Hello? Go back to Genesis. What did, the, what did the snake say to Eve? God didn't really say you were going to die, did he? Well, 
no, what God said was, and next thing you know, she's not trusting the guide and she's trusting in herself. And I believe ultimately that's why Christ says, want to follow me? Deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me because we'll never get there focusing on our own logic. Another reason I believe it's important to remember that the church is loyal to the teachings of the apostles, right? Christ said the Holy Spirit will come upon you and guide you into all truth. They're the ones we can trust. So all of that, they're the ones who are keeping us off the cliff because they have, in fact, gone down the path before. That's why I believe that we can trust the church as the, you know, using, you know, tried and tested. What are the, what are the old toothpaste commercials? Nine out of 10 doctors approve, right? We have 2,000 years worth of saints who walked the path. They can help us stay on the path, but we gotta be willing to listen to them. That's why we do Bible study this way. I could, trust me, I just as easily could be reading the book of 1 Corinthians and say what I think it means. Okay, some days I'll get it right, some days I won't get it right. But where is the guidance in that? Who am I to think that I know all the answers? I'd rather put my trust in what Chrysostom has said. Why? Because 1,700 years of church history has paid off listening to St. John Chrysostom. I've only been a priest for 15 years. Who am I? I'm only in my 50s. Who am I? Right? The church has that guide. The church is the one keeping us on the path. Okay. Section 7, speaking of the path, quote number 14. Since we will always choose the easier path, let's really see which is easier, sin or virtue. Right? So it's like Christmas saying, okay, so you want the easy way. Let's really look ahead and see which path is easier. Listen to what he says here. Whether again is it pleasanter to see a good dream and to be punished in reality, or after having a disagreeable dream to be really in enjoyment? Of course, the latter. Tell me then, in what sense do you call virtue harsh? I grant it is harsh, tried by comparison with our carelessness. However, that it is really easy and smooth, hear what Christ says, quoting Matthew chapter 11, verse 30, My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. But if you perceive not the lightness, plainly it is for want of courageous zeal, since where that is, even heavy things are light. And by the same rule, where it is not, even light things are heavy. Again, our sense to distrust the church, right? If the church says this is going to be ultimately helpful to us, why aren't we listening? What we really think, we're going to get it right this time, that all these centuries before, all these thousands of saints before, some of them who were so holy their bodies have not decomposed in 1,700 years, we're the ones who are going to get it right? doesn't make any sense. doesn't make any sense. Okay. Uh-oh, I'm running out of time. Section 8, 
Quote number 15. The more wealth we want, the more we suffer. Remember, Chris Islam is always anti-wealth. He's never been pro-wealth. I don't care what book of the Bible he's talking about. I don't care what homily he's preaching. He's always anti-wealth. Listen to him here. If even, if he even gets all men's goods, his pain is but greater. And should he gain a hundred talents, he is vexed that he has not received a thousand. And if he has received a thousand, he is stung to the quick that it is not ten thousand. And if he received ten thousand, he utterly bemoans himself, because it is not ten times as much. And the acquisition of more to him becomes so much more poverty, for the more he receives, so much the more he desires. I know people like this. They are genuinely tortured the more they have because that's not enough. It is insatiable. They just can't quench their, can't quench their desires. Other people have boatloads of money and could care less. <laughs> I knew a woman, God rest her soul. By looking at her, you'd never know she was a wealthy woman. Said to me one time, I just don't understand it. I keep giving it away and God just keeps giving it back. <laughs> and she was just such a beautiful, humble woman in that, in that understanding. And in fact, she did just simply keep giving it away. And that's, of course, that's why God kept giving it back, because she kept doing wonderful things with it. But she's like, you know, I don't want any of this stuff, right? And on the other hand, how many people are like, me, 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 you know? Okay. Section number nine, quote number 16. Being in constant want is hell. Chris Stem says this, But were we always to remain in such a state of desire, we should be as badly off as the rich man in the parable of Lazarus for the matter of punishment. For his punishment was just this, that vehemently desiring one little drop, he obtained it not. And this very thing all covetous persons seem to me continually to suffer and to resemble him where he begs that he may obtain that drop and obtains it not. For their soul is more on fire than his. <laughs> insatiable, and therefore that constant torture, right? It doesn't have to be just about money. It can be about power. It can be about notoriety. It can be about, you know, it doesn't have to be money necessarily. It's that want, 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 want. I never get enough of it. So we find a way to want heaven, and then we'll be constantly desiring heaven. Right? I've said this to other people before, you know, there's the quote, for where your treasure is, there will be your heart also, right? Your heart will always follow your treasure. Your treasure will always follow your heart. So I tell people, if you want your heart to be with Christ in the church, bring your treasure to Christ in the church, and your heart will follow it. Right? Because that's the things that we desire are the things that we're going to follow. Okay, so that brings us to our closing comment, which I call a send-off. And this week's send-off, leading us now to the next three weeks, 
Remember, our next Bible study is going to be Tuesday, March 22. Our send-off tonight is, Virtue is Heaven, Chrysostom. It's in section 9 of the homily. Now we might have gone through all the other evils also, whereby it is shown that there is no vice which has pleasure in it. But we have not spoken before so much as large. Wherefore, knowing these things, let us choose virtue, to the end that we may both enjoy such pleasure as is here, and may attain unto the blessings which are to come through the grace and loving kindness, etc., etc. No, he doesn't always say etc. He normally he closes it with a prayer to all glory of the Father. Right, so that's yeah. why it says that in, in the No, because in this case, we totally change gears because the next homily is for chapter 5. So remember, these are Bible studies. I think here he's just, the etc, etc is, is all of the virtues. Right. Instead of him listing all these different virtues, the etc, etc is the different virtues, right? So I think that's a great way for us to close tonight. Remember, our great fast is coming up. We're in the middle of the triodium. And so we're, our consciousness is being asked by the church to focus on our humility, to focus on the virtues. And if, in fact, we want more and more of the things that we're craving, let's crave virtue, let's crave heaven, and that will become our our driving force, and that will become our desire, right? We always will do the work of the things we really want. If we really want heaven, we're going to do the work that it takes. And we're going to avoid the cliff by allowing the church to guide us, or in our case, allowing St. John Chrysostom to, to guide us along our way. That brings us to the end of our Bible study, my brothers and sisters. Until March 22nd, God bless you, and don't forget to live a new life in Christ. Be Transfigured is a production of Be Transfigured Ministries in cooperation with the St. Nicholas Greek Orthodox Cathedral in Tarpon Springs, Florida. We depend upon your generosity to maintain our ministry. You can make a safe online donation when you visit our website, liveanewlifeinchrist.org.